Well, on January 8th, 1956, five missionaries um, who are kind of well-known now, named Jim Elliott, Nate Saint, Ed McCulley, Pete Fleming, and Roger Uterin, they landed on a, a sandy beach along the, the Amazon River, deep in the jungles of Ecuador. Their families had moved there a few years earlier uh, with an attempt to, to get the good news about Jesus Christ to uh, an isolated group known as uh, the Alka Indians. Now, the Alkas had long been known for just being a, really a savage group of people towards outsiders and towards the other neighboring tribes. Uh, but, but Jim and his team believed that getting the gospel to them was worth the risk even of their own lives. And in the end, their faithfulness to Christ cost them everything. On that January morning that they they landed there on the beach, the five missionaries were attacked and killed by the very people that they had come to serve. And while that story, which if you're not familiar with that, you should pick up the the book Through Gates of Splendor by Elizabeth Elliot and check it out. It is an amazing story of those missionaries' journey. And that story is, it, it is amazing, but, but what happened after that part of the story is even, it seems even more amazing. Because Rachel, who is Nate's saint, he's the one who would uh, fly the, the planes, he was, she was the sister of Nate. She and Elizabeth Elliot and several other of the family members decided that they were, gonna, they were not going to flee, but they were going to stay. And they chose to stay, not to carry out revenge on the people who had murdered their family members, but, but rather to carry on the work of getting the gospel to them. So over the next number of months and years that followed, they continued to reach out to the Alcas and eventually made, made some contact with them. And over time, relationships developed and they were invited to come and to live among them. And as they did and they shared the gospel... Savage after savage came to know the Savior. God worked a miracle in the midst of that once barbarous tribe. And one of the, the men who came to know Jesus was a man named Minke. He became a believer and he adopted Steve Saint, who was the son of Nate Saint, the one who flowed the plane, adopted him as his own tribal son. And Steve had never asked Minke about what had happened on that day when his family was killed because of fear that they might think that he was kind of sneaking in to get revenge. But, but after Rachel, his, his, um, his mother, died, Minke took him aside and told him that he was indeed the one who had speared his father on that day. And Steve forgave Minke. And today... They tour around the world and share the story about how the gospel not only brought revival in that place, but brought reconciliation in, in a way that the world just really cannot fathom. Now, can, can you imagine forgiving somebody who killed your own father? Or could you imagine being ad- adopted by the person who killed your own father? We're then going around and doing ministry with that person. Well, one USA Today reporter said that if he were in Steve's shoes, he could maybe forgive Minke, but to love him, he said that is absolutely morbid. And Steve said he understands why the man would think that way, but he said that when, when, he, 
when he perceived what Christ had done for him, that God had given him who was unworthy grace and mercy through the gospel of Jesus Christ, he said, it was the only thing that I could do would be to love him and to forgive him as well. Well, this morning we're going to come to a text of Scripture that that captures that very same ideas about extending forgiveness and love and reconciliation and how the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ both commands us to do that, but also empowers us to do that. We're going to see that God is able to heal even the most fractured of relationships. So if you have your Bible, I'm going to ask that you would join me in the book of Philemon. The book of Philemon. If you, uh, if you didn't bring a Bible and you want to use one of the ones that's provided for you there, it's on 1,000. So 1,000, right after Titus, right before the book of Hebrews. And Philemon is unique in that it's, it's a very short letter, one of the shortest in your New Testament. Uh, but it's also a, a personal letter. It's a personal letter written to a man named Philemon. And as we're going to see, it's not a book that's really ultimately about just doctrine or theology or, or church practice, but, but it's more about how the, the doctrines and the theology of the gospel should, should be lived out in a way that seeks to extend forgiveness to somebody who has, has wronged us and seek to bring healing to broken relationships. So in a, in a sense, what we're going to see here played out with Philemon and a guy named Onesimus. It's kind of a, a high-def case study where it's, it's full view for us to watch how the gospel is, is intended to reconcile broken relationships. So what we're going to do is we're first going to read through the text together, and then we'll, we'll come back through and per- pick out some principles. Philemon, starting there in verse 1. Paul, a prisoner for Christ Jesus, and Timothy, our brother, to Philemon, our beloved fellow worker, and Aphia, our sister, and Archippus, our fellow soldier, and the church in your house. Grace to you, and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God always when I remember you in my prayers, because I hear of your love and of the faith that you have toward the Lord Jesus and for all the saints. And I pray that the the sharing of your faith may become effective for the full knowledge of every good thing that is in us for the sake of Christ. For I have derived much joy and comfort from your love, my brother, because the hearts of the saints have been refreshed through you. Verse 8. Accordingly, though I am bold enough in Christ to command you to do what is required, yet for love's sake, I prefer to appeal to you. I, Paul, an old man and now a prisoner also for Christ Jesus, I I appeal to you for my child, Onesimus, whose father I became in imprisonment. Formerly he was useless to you, but now he is indeed useful to you and to me. And I'm sending him back to you, sending my very heart. I would have been glad to keep him with me, in order that he might serve me on your behalf during my imprisonment for the gospel. But I prefer to do nothing without your consent, in order that your goodness might not be by compulsion, but on your own accord. For this, perhaps, is why he was parted from you for a while, that you might have him back forever, 
No longer as a bondservant, but more than a bondservant, as a beloved brother, especially me, but how much more to you, both in the flesh and in the Lord. So if you consider me your partner, receive him as you would receive me. For if he has wronged you at all, or owes you anything, charge that to my account. I, Paul, write this with my own hand. I will repay it. To say nothing of your owing me, even your own self. Yes, brother, I want some benefit from you and the Lord. Refresh my heart. Confident of your obedience, I write to you, knowing that you will do even more than I say. Verse 22. At the same time, prepare a guest room for me, for I'm hoping that through your prayers I will be graciously given to you. Epaphras, my fellow prisoner in Christ Jesus, sends you greetings, and so do Mark, Archistros, Demas, and Luke, my fellow workers. Verse 25, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. So let's, let's first, before we get back into the text, let's summarize what we can, what we can guess is happening here in light of this, this letter. Okay, So it seems that there was a, a Christian man named Philemon who lived in the city of Colossae. And the reason we think he lived in Colossae is because in Colossians 4, Onesimus and Archippus, guys he referred to, are both said to have lived there. We also know that Philemon was a slave owner. Now, we could do a whole, a whole deal on this, and I have some resources that uh, Daniel helped me to get together. I'd be glad to pass on to you. They're an email form, so I'd be glad to send them to you. Um, but I want to go ahead and just, just say this about the idea of, of, of having slaves there in, in the first century in, in Rome. Um, while it wasn't a good system at all, because people were, were viewed as property and um, many were grossly mistreated, it was, it was a different kind of system than we think of when we think of slavery in, in our own country. Um, about 40%, it's estimated, of the population um, in the Roman Empire were slaves. It, it was a form of basically a way to, to get a, a job. That, and, unlike many of the other times that people have been slaves in, in history, the slaves in, during this, this season could be educated. Many of them were, were doctors or lawyers or teachers. And some, many even, were, were even seen as, as family members. So I don't want to gloss it up too much and make it sound like it was a really good thing, uh, because I wouldn't, wouldn't say that at all. Um, but it's, it was the reality of, of the day and the culture that they were living in. And what appears happens is that Philemon, he had one of his slaves named Onesimus, who appears to have stolen something from him, and then he hightailed it out of there to try and to hide out in Rome and get a fresh start. The problem with Onesimus's plan is that God was working in his life. And when God seeks you, there is nowhere to hide. So he was running, but God was chasing him. And God graciously caused Onesimus and the Apostle, Apostle Paul to, to cross paths. We don't know exactly how it happened, but Paul said there that he became uh, my, my child in imprisonment, meaning uh, he led him to the Lord. So he met Paul, and Paul shared the gospel with him, and he believed. But then as he got to know Onesimus more, and he figured out where he was from and what he had done in regards to apparently stealing something, he sent Onesimus back. Because, because God's not just into getting decisions. He wants disciples, people who live out the truths of the gospel. And he says, listen, there's something wrong in your life. We've got to make this thing right. So he sent him back to ask Philemon to forgive him. And he sent this letter with him, 
with Onesimus when he went back to challenge Philemon to extend that forgiveness to him. So what we're going to do is we're going to come back through this letter now, and we're going to highlight five principles about how the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, brings reconciliation and forgiveness to broken relationships. And my hope is that as we do this, that God will use it to help us. Because, listen, we're under no illusion that everybody's lives in here are just great. We, we all come in here, and we can wear our masks and smile and say, hey, brother, but listen, we, we all have broken relationships around us. And the truths of the gospel, God can heal relationships. And we believe that. So let's start again by looking at verses 1 through 3 just to see this greeting. He says, Paul, a prisoner for Christ Jesus, and Timothy, our brother, to Philemon, our beloved fellow worker, and Aphia, our sister, and Archippus, our fellow soldier, and the church in your house, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. So Paul's writing this letter from prison, which really isn't out of the norm for, for Paul. Uh, if you're familiar with his ministry, uh, because he was, he was all in for the gospel, it cost him a lot. He was beaten, he was persecuted, and he wound up in prison very often. But he's not in prison there, again, for for the reasons that some of us have been there. He's there for Christ Jesus. He had been serving Christ. And just like those missionaries that we we talked about at the beginning, it it cost him much. We also see here that that Paul isn't alone. He's got Timothy with him. Um, We don't know if Timothy was in prison with him or if he was just allowed to, to be visiting him, but... Uh, Timothy was one of Paul's uh, buddies by this point. He's, uh, he, he led him to the Lord. He discipled him. He poured into him as a minister of the gospel. And Paul always had a posse with him. He's always pouring into guys. And we see, we see Timothy is there. Um, Paul's also writing, notice there, to Philemon. He appears to be the host of this house church. So he meets in your house. And he's with Aphia. Some people think he's his wife. We don't know. And Archippus, who we think might be the pastor of the church. The reason we think that is because also back in Colossians 4, uh, Paul gives, gives this guy a little bit of a, a pastoral pep talk and tells him to, uh, to fulfill the ministry that he's received in the Lord. That's kind of just, just the greeting. And now let's, let's go to verse 4 through 7 where we're going to get our, our first principle, okay? 4 through 7, it says, I thank my God always when I remember you in my prayers because I hear of your love and of the faith that you have toward the Lord Jesus and for all the saints. And I pray that the sharing of your faith may become effective for the full knowledge of every good thing that is, uh, that is in us for the sake of Christ. For I have delivered you, I have derived from you much joy and comfort from your love, my brother, because the hearts of the saints have been refreshed through you. So Paul says he's regularly praying for Philemon, and he's stirred to pray for him in a good way because Philemon is famous for something. He is famous for his love and faith toward the Lord Jesus and for all the saints. That's a good thing to be famous for, right? He is famous for the way that he, he shows love towards God and love towards others, which is where we're going to get our first principle from. Okay, So principle number one is that the gospel teaches us to love God and to love other people. The gospel teaches us to love God and to love other people. So Philemon's doing that. And I'm not sure if that, that, that combination rings a bell, but Jesus uh, said that actually the most important commandment when he, in Matthew 22 is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength and to love your neighbor as yourself. 
And Philemon's got this reputation that he's a great commandment kind of guy. When you think about Philemon, you think about that. God loves God and he loves other people. But we should be careful to not be deceived into thinking that 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 means that Philemon was just a really good old guy. He's not just a good old boy. Something has happened to Philemon to put that kind of love in him. Because that kind of love is not natural to us. It's not natural to us. I mean, think about, think about this. Jesus said that God wants us to love him at all times with all that we are and to love others in the exact same way that we want people to love us. Now, I don't know about you, but if that's what it takes to get into heaven, I'm in trouble. We are all in a bunch of trouble because that's, that's not what is natural to us. We don't naturally love God with all we are at all times. And we don't naturally love others all times selflessly. If we're honest, we are naturally selfish people. And when we think about God, we, kind of, we just kind of want God to keep our lives free from pain and full of happiness. And as long as God does that, things are going to be okay. And when we think about others, a lot of times we, we want people to either help us get kind of what we want done in our lives or just stay out of our way. I mean, you can see that. Have you ever driven on any of these interstates? I mean, people, that's, that is the, that's the law of the land. That's what we do naturally. And some of us, yes, may be nicer than others, but being nice is not what gets somebody into heaven. Being nice is not what makes somebody right with God. The fact is that all of us, whether we've never stepped a foot in a church, this is your first time here, welcome, good to have you, or whether you're born in the baptismal, it doesn't matter what your background is or how squeaky clean we may appear. All of our hearts, they're wicked. They just are. We want to use God. We want to use other people. We are naturally rebels against our maker, and we need to be saved. We need to be rescued. We need to be rescued, yes, from our sin, We need to be rescued, yes, from ourselves. We need to be rescued, yes, from hell. But even even more than that is that we need to be rescued from God. Because God is a good, holy, perfect, loving God who made us and gave us life, that when we turn against Him in our hearts, through our motives, or in our actions, and everything that we do, that makes us His enemies. And we're, we're born that way. We're born rebels. We don't don't have to be taught to lie or to cheat or to steal or to be selfish. We come out like that. And that, that makes us God's enemies. And because of that, God will judge us. And that's bad news. We are not naturally at peace with God. But that is why God sent his son Jesus This Jesus that it says that Philemon loves. The reason that Philemon loves this Jesus guy is because he saved him. He saved him from himself and from his sin and from the wrath that was to come, from the judgment that was certain to fall upon his head. He loves Jesus because God sent Christ to come and to live that perfect life that Philemon and you and me and everybody else in this world and in human history never would, could, or did live. A life of complete perfection and total adoration towards God where Jesus loved God perfectly at all times, in all things. Always said, yes, Lord, rather than no, I want my own way. And he always sought to love others, loved others perfectly, chiefly, chiefly 
by going to the cross. And there on the cross, dying in the place of any who would ever turn from their sin and trust in him. That there Jesus took the wrath for sinners. That he got the judgment that we deserve. He was a substitute. He was in our place. And when Philemon thinks about this Jesus guy, what he thinks is, it was my sin that held him there. It was because of me that he was on the cross. That's what Christians think about Jesus. That's why we sing songs. If you're not familiar with Christianity, you come in, you're like, why are y'all singing about blood and the lamb and this Jesus guy? Like, the reason is because we love him. Like, yo, know, I know that sounds weird to some of y'all because I was not a Christian until I was 21, and that sounded goofy weird to me, but when, when you meet him and you know that he rescues a rebel like you and like me from the judgment that we deserve, it fills your heart with love for him because God reconciles us to himself. He seeks us. He comes and he gets us when we wanted to do nothing but run away. He chased after us and grabbed us and tore out our heart of stone and put a new heart, a living heart that now responds to the call of the gospel and turns to God. And Romans 5 says, now we are at peace with God. Those who are in Christ are at peace with our maker. We go from enemies to friends, from rebels to the redeemed children. That is good news. But it doesn't stop there. Our reconciliation with God is not where it ends. But God also does something radical to our lives that changes the way that we think about other people. That we don't, we don't just seek to, 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 to use people anymore, but now God does something in us to where now we love others. We want to extend mercy. Ephesians chapter 2 actually says that and the context was Jews and Gentiles being brought together in the body of Christ, it says that, that there's a wall of hostility that was torn down. There is because of the law, but this is true in all of our lives. That there's this wall of sin that keeps us from loving others, and that Jesus, he tears that down when his, when his body was torn on the cross. And that what it does is it makes us now, who have new eyes, because we're born again, to see others, not according to the flesh, Paul says, but now in light of what Christ has done teaches us to love, to extend mercy and forgiveness. We seek to build up rather than tear down. We seek to serve rather than use. We now seek to reconcile and to forgive over little things, like some of you this morning who have little things against one another, who won't talk to them because they don't talk to you, or whatever it may be, or big things, like what we heard in our opening story. There's a big spectrum But the gospel changes the way that we think about other people. It doesn't leave us, just us and God, in our own little quiet time with him. We are a body, a family. And I want to be clear that I'm not saying that this is an automatic thing that just kind of happens in the sense of you're on autopilot now and you don't have to try to love other people. That is not biblical Christianity at all. It's very clear that we are to strive for unity. We are to strive to love one another. And that God supplies the grace that we need to do that. But, but it doesn't just happen. Loving others is tough. Hurts are real. Pains are real. Harsh words leave scars and betrayals leave bruises. But Christ is greater than them all. And as we draw upon his grace, we have grace to extend to others. That's what the gospel does in reconciliation. It reconciles us to God and it reconciles us to others. He gives grace 
to wrestle with the ugly feelings that we have toward other people. He gives grace to take that step and make the phone call or walk over to them or send them the email or ask for help or to pray. He gives the grace to do that. God gives that grace. And that is what Philemon has been famous for. Up to this point, he's known for that. Verse 5, you have love and faith toward God and the saints. He's been living this out in tangible ways in the church. And now in verse 6, he wants him to keep doing it. I pray that the sharing of your faith may become uh, effective for the full knowledge of every good thing that is in us for the sake of Christ. Now, a lot of times people use this verse for evangelism when you think about sharing of the faith. And evangelism is good, and people who don't know Jesus need to know about Jesus. So yes, go tell them about Jesus. But that's not what this verse is for. This verse is talking about Christians practically, Titus, the book of Titus-like, living out our faith in good works towards one another. He says, I'm, I'm hoping that you're going to do that. There's a partnership, a fellowship, a koinonia, as it were. He's talking about sharing faith among believers. And Paul is praying that Philemon is going to put on display this faith again by publicly forgiving Onesimus, who's standing there with a letter. Can you imagine Onesimus walks in? He's like looking for Philemon. Can you read this first before we talk? You know, he's like, let's read this. And he's, he's working through this. And Philemon's standing right there. And you, can, you don't know. I mean, we don't know what, what Philemon was feeling. Any of us who have ever been betrayed know what it's like sometimes to see somebody who's hurt us. But now, Paul here is interceding, standing in between, be like, hold y'all, let's do this first. Gospel, think about this. Think about what Christ has done, and that's going to influence the way that you love this guy. And as he does this, he mentions it twice here. This is going to get our our second principle, but notice there in verse 7, I've derived much joy and comfort from your love, my brother, because the hearts of the saints have been refreshed through you. And then down, look at verse 20. Yes, brother, I want some benefit from you in the Lord. Refresh my heart in Christ. This is your second principle, is that when people witness gospel-centered reconciliation, their hearts are refreshed. When people witness gospel-centered reconciliation, their hearts are refreshed. So Philemon's got a good track record so far of living out his faith in a way that blesses everybody around him. And now he's called to do that again. Now, do you know anybody like that who, when you heard this, this word refresh, that you, you, somebody comes to mind who refreshes you when you're around them? Somebody who, who blesses your soul. You have somebody in mind? That's a good, sweet gift, isn't it not? When you, it's, it's amazing. When you get into, into a church or a small group or a friendship with somebody who knows grace and has received grace and loves grace. And because of that, what they do is they just give grace. You know, I want to hang out with those people all day long. Because we know what it's like to be around people who don't get that, right? I mean, that's hard. It's like walking through a briar patch. It's just always like, ugh, somebody's going to be grumbling or complaining or griping about somebody or gossiping. Or, ugh. Yeah, it's, that's a hard person to be around. But not this Philemon guy. Philemon was the kind of guy that he refreshed souls. And Paul wants Philemon, who's known as that kind of person, to not be rattled by this situation with Onesimus. Instead, he wants him to share his faith or or put his faith on display by extending love and grace and forgiveness to Onesimus again. 
He wants what Satan intended for evil to be used for good for Onesimus and for that whole church. He wants God to get glory and he wants the church to be refreshed. And even there again, verse 19, asks, asks Philemon to refresh his own heart. Okay? And this is, this is an important thing for us to remember when we face our own broken relationships. Because a lot of times we can get this in our mind that, well, this is, this is my business, and this is, this is my pain, and this is my wound. And, and real quick, I know some of you have, have been wounded deeply by others, and I am not making light of that. There are things that have happened to some of you that are unspeakable. And I am, I am sorry. We, we weep with you on that. But it is one of the temptations that we all face, whatever degree of wound we've received, is for us to think that this is about me. And we get very me-centered in our pains and in our brokenness and in our rattled relationships. And we can forget that our family members and that our, our church and that our neighbors and that the world is watching. And that in a sense, God has set all of us as his ambassadors to be little walking movie screens for the gospel. And, and the way that we respond is, is important because if we respond in extending grace and and, and and seeking reconciliation, which can take a while. Forgiveness is a decision where we decide we're going to cancel a debt, and I am not going to hold this person, I'm not going to hold them guilty anymore as Christ has forgiven me, east from the west. I am going to now treat them in light of the fact that they're forgiven. In reconciliation, though, it, it seems that it can, take, it can take some time to live out those realities. And it's, it's, sometimes it's just messy. Sometimes it is, but, but the way that we handle all of that, it puts on display realities about, about the gospel that are either going to be good or going to be bad. And we've got to keep that in mind before us. Because it is, there are a few things more refreshing than to see, to see true gospel reconciliation. Have you ever seen it happen before? I mean, like when there were people who like straight up hated each other. And then got up and moved in their lives, and now they love each other. I mean, like, love each other. Like, that's amazing. Like, we, we are refreshed when we see husbands and wives reconcile. We are refreshed when we see children who have run away come home and reconcile. We are refreshed when we see somebody who is under church discipline comes back home and worships with us again. We are refreshed when we see forgiveness and love and reconciliation lived out in our midst. And Paul says to Philemon, listen, refresh this church. Refresh my heart. Refresh Onesimus. Refresh us by putting on display the good news of the gospel by the way you love this guy. Do that for the glory of God. And, and as bad as Paul wants that to happen, because he wants it to happen bad, and you can kind of see that through this letter. I mean, like, he's trying to, he's, he, he wants it to happen. As bad as he wants it to happen, he does, he's also concerned about how it happens. Like, he didn't want to shoehorn him into doing this. He, he, he wants this reconciliation to come from the heart. Look there at verses 8 through 11. 
Accordingly, though, I am bold enough in Christ to command you to do what is required. Yet, for love's sake, I prefer to appeal to you. I, Paul, an old man now, a prisoner also for Christ Jesus, I appeal to you for my child Onesimus, whose father I became in imprisonment. Formerly he was useless to you, but now he is indeed useful to you and to me. And I am sending him back to you, sending my very heart And I would have been glad to keep him with me in order that he might serve me on your behalf during my imprisonment for the gospel. But I preferred to do nothing without your consent in order that your goodness might not be by compulsion, but of your own accord. See what he's saying? He's saying, I could have just kept him, but that would have left your heart there with a root of bitterness in it, and I wasn't about to have that. So I'm sending this guy that I love His name, Onesimus, means useful. Useful used to be not so useful, but now he's gotten born again, and now he is useful. I could send him back because there's something that's got to happen between you and him. Which brings us to our third principle. That the gospel guides and guards the posture of our hearts in reconciliation. The gospel guides and guards the posture of our hearts in reconciliation. Paul's concerned here about the posture of Philemon's heart in all of this. He doesn't just pull rank and be like, hey, brother, I'm an apostle, and you either receive this guy or I'm going to break apostle bad on you. Like, he doesn't, he doesn't do that. He says, I don't want to make you do this. He doesn't want Philemon to welcome Onesimus out of compulsion. He wants him to love him out of compassion. He, he wants desire, not forced duty, to be driving all of this. Now, why do you think that's important? Because, if we're honest, a lot of times, and I was going to say that I think the Bible Belt really does this, like down in the South, but it's not just the South. Everybody does this to different degrees. To where we just kind of want to, like, be able to smile at somebody again, to, like, let it be. I just don't, you stay out of my business, I want to stay out of your business, we're just going to, okay, fine. I forgive you, you forgive me, that's fine, that's done. And we kind of just want to put a little little Band-Aid on the deal. But why do you think Paul says, uh-uh, we ain't doing no Band-Aids? We're not, we're not doing that. Just like my kiddos, when they bump something, they're like, I want a Band-Aid. Just kind of like this, make you feel better. He's like, no, we ain't doing no Band-Aid. Why do you think so? Why do you think Paul is so concerned about, about the posture of Philemon's heart in the midst of all of this? And why do you think we need to be worried about it? When, when a husband and a wife are going to try and work through something, why is the posture of their heart so important? Or why when when there's a broken friendship or a betrayal, why is it so important to go after the heart? This one time I was um, was doing marriage counseling for a couple. And when they came in, you could just see that they were there, but they were not there. And, the, and the, the thing is, like, they would say the right things, and they would, they would even show up a little early. They'd say the right things. They'd do the scripture homework that we, we agreed we would do. But you could tell that their heart was just, it just wasn't in it. And they would say, yeah, I forgive. Yeah, I mean, we'll, yeah, we'll, we'll, you know, we'll stay married. We'll stay in the same house. I'll even stay in the same bedroom. That's fine. That's fine. I'll do that. But you could tell the heart wasn't in it. 
that there was, this, there was this wall that was built with stones of bitterness that was just between these two people. And they did, they did not, they said no. And, and if you'd have seen them outside of those meetings and probably went on what was going on behind closed doors, you'd have thought everything was fine. They were smiley, happy, clappy, hey, how you doing, all that kind of stuff. Led Bible studies, hosted stuff, all that kind of, they were, they were They looked like that. So they functioned fine. But they were starving their souls of true reconciliation and forgiveness. And, and yes, there are times, okay, so I want to be clear about it. There are times in our walks, of our walks with God, that we obey regardless of how you feel. So, like, don't wait around to be like, oh, now I'm going to feel like obeying, and then I'll obey. Like, that's a bad deal, okay? That always ends up bad, okay? It is, it is always better to obey God with bad motives than to disobey God because you, don't, you haven't felt right yet, okay? So you always want to obey him. But God is concerned about the heart. God is not just concerned with these external looking good stuff that we satisfy. God says, I want truth in the inmost being. And that's why Paul is coming after Philemon here. He says in verse 14, I prefer to do nothing without your consent in order that your goodness might not be by compulsion, but of your own accord. Because if it's going to stay reconciled and there's going to be true freedom and true love that God sees and that pleases him, it's got to be heart deep. It has to be. So one of the ways that we allow the gospel to guide us and to guard us in, in the midst of this is to be in constant an honest prayer. And I know you're like, okay, you're supposed to say a prayer because that's the right answer, but like, like legitimately labor in prayer. So I went through, 2007 was, was a long, hard year. I call it the year of the anvil. It was the year that God just up and crushed me. And there were some broken relationships, I mean, for a year that were, I mean, it was hard. And, and to this day, have, some of them haven't, haven't been um, fixed the way you'd like them to be. You, but you, you try. But in the midst of that, when I found myself not praying honestly and coming and saying, God, I'm mad. I don't want to see them. I don't want them to speak my name. I don't want, I don't want to be around those people. And I'm sure they felt the same way about me. Like, when that was happening, I found that there was a grace and there was a peace that God gives to the heart because you're being honest with him. So when you're feeling like that, wrestle with him. And, and, and as you do that, something that will fuel those prayers is spend good time studying just the life of Jesus. Be in the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and read and watch and pray. And watch the way that he served and he loved and he was forsaken. And he took, he took the judgment that we deserved and the way he was spat upon and the way he still said, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. Have those kinds of honest, deep, heartfelt prayers. That helps to, to guard our hearts and to guide it. And the more that we reflect upon the gospel and what Christ has done for us, the more that it gives us over time. And you won't always just feel it. You're like, oh, I prayed. Where's that gospel feeling? You know, that gospel feeling, may, it, it may not come. It may not come for a long time. But that's why we walk by faith and not by sight. That's why we're guided by faith and not by feeling. We're trusting. It's an act of faith. And over the time, God works in our hearts deeply that we may be able to truly and freely love. And another thing that can soften our hearts in the midst of reconciliation, um, it's going to be our, our fourth principle. It's going to come out of these verses. Listen to verse 15 and 16. 
He says, for this perhaps is why he, Onesimus, parted from you, Philemon, for a while, that you might have him back forever, no longer as a bondservant, but more than a bondservant, as a beloved brother, especially to me, but how much more to you, both in the flesh and in the Lord. You see what Paul is drawing Philemon's attention to? To the fact that God is orchestrating something in the... He's working in this whole situation to get grace to this man. Which is your fourth principle. That the gospel reminds us that God is working sovereignly in other people's lives. The gospel reminds us that God is working in other people's lives. So it's almost like, it's almost like Paul says, all right, finally, here's what I want you to do. I want you to step back, and I want you to make sure you see what's happening here. I know you feel the sting of this man's offenses against you. I know your, your trust has been betrayed because he ran out. I know he stole from you. I know he disrespected you. But have you considered, Philemon, have you considered that all of this was just part of God's plan, his glorious plan to save this man? Do you see that, Philemon? Perhaps this is why he has parted from you for a while. Maybe God let this man run off into his evil things that you might have him back forever, and not just as a bondservant, but as a beloved brother. It's like he's saying, Philemon, think of the goodness and of the mercy of God toward this poor, wandering sinner. Think of the mercy that God has given this guy. He's been around you, so he's seen the gospel. And now, when he ran away from you in rebellion... Think of how merciful God was to ordain his steps that he would run right in the arms of Christ whose blood was shed for him. Think about that, Philemon. Think about that. And if we all think about that, that's really our own story, isn't it? That all of us, whether we were saved at a young age or, and he kept you from wandering far or whether you were far off and God sought you and saved you, Our salvation is a miracle. The fact that he saved us and that he preserves us, it's an absolute miracle that God does this. How humbling when we look at another person's life and we look at our own lives and we see that that the God of the universe would would work situations together that that we might know him and love him. And Paul knew that same kind of grace, didn't he? Do you remember how his own salvation came about? He's on his road, and he was Saul at that time, before he got renamed. He's, he's riding on his donkey off to, uh, to Damascus to persecute Christians, and on the way, Jesus up and knocks him off his horse, and comes his glory comes and blinds him, and he cries out, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he says, who are you? And he says, I'm the Lord Jesus whom you're persecuting. And then God saved him. But then do you remember what happened after the Lord saved him? He told a man named Ananias to go and to lay hands on him so that he could regain his sight. And Ananias, do you remember what he said to the Lord? He goes, Lord, you sure you got the right number on this deal? I mean, that guy, this guy's been killing our church members. You sure this is a guy? And he says, yes, he's my chosen instrument. And he sends him back. <laughs> and Ananias went and he put hands on him and he said, Brother Saul, Brother 
brother Saul. You've been forgiven by God. And now it's a picture that he was forgiven by him as well. That there's this reconciliation. That, that Ananias understood that God had worked in Paul's life and now he gets to be a messenger of mercy to this man. And it's the same thing that's happening here with Philemon. Philemon gets to be a messenger of mercy that reconfirms this gospel message that Onesimus has believed. He's, he's heard it and he's believed it and now Philemon gets to be one more billboard saying, Jesus loves you. And forgives you. And in the same way, for us, whenever we are in our conflict with one another, or with others, one of the things that it's good for us to remember that there is no such thing as luck or chance. It's just not a reality. Every moment is ordained by the Lord. And what that means is that every brief encounter is from Him. Even our hardest relationships. And that that we, as we reflect upon the gospel and are humbled by God's mercy toward us, and then we remember that God is doing the same thing in some way, even if we can't see it in this other person's life, that we get to be a testimony that, that the gospel's true. It's true. We get to be that. And what that requires us doing is throwing aside all rights and all of the yeah, but minds. And, it's, and we have to talk through issues, and you can't just sweep everything under the rug. I'm not saying that at all. But I am saying that the more that we realize that everything's not about us, and the more that we realize it's all about Christ, that that frees us to love and to forgive and to extend mercy to other people. Have you ever had anybody do that for you? To where they just forgive you. It's amazing. And when you know that you are indebted because of wickedness that you have done, but that they know that, that Christ took it all and they forgive. There's reconciliation. God, God does that. That's actually one of the things that helped Steve Saint, the guy whose dad was murdered by the Alka Indians. That was one of the things that actually helped him in the midst of, of, of forgiving and wrestling with everything that had happened with his, his family. He said, there are too many factors that all had to work together to have allowed the events to happen as they did. Too many for me to believe it was just chance. What happened to my dad and his four friends didn't catch God by surprise. He said, I have personally paid a high price for what, has hap for what happened, but I have also had a front row seat as the rest of the story has been unfolding. Only God could have fashioned such an incredible story from such a tragic event. And I want you to know that you can have the same kind of testimony and I'm not making promises that God's going to fix every relationship. He may not. But we have the opportunity to remember that God is moving. And that as we trust him in that, we get to be messengers of mercy. So Paul had seen the miracle of Anisimus' salvation. And he does whatever he can to, to help encourage this reconciliation. Verses 17 through 20. So if you consider me your partner, receive him as you would receive me. If he has wronged you at all or owes anything to you, charge it to my account. I, Paul, write this with my own hand. I will repay it. To say nothing of your owing me, even your own self. Yes, brother, I want some satisfaction from you in the Lord. Refresh my heart in Christ. Which brings us to our fifth and final principle about reconciliation in the gospel. Number five, that the gospel teaches us all 
to be encouragers of reconciliation. The gospel teaches us all to be encouragers of reconciliation. Paul does whatever he can to make this reconciliation happen. And he does this because he knows that God delights in the unity of the church. He knows that the one thing Jesus prayed in John 17 is that we would be one. That's what he wants. God loves that when his people dwell together in unity. That's why Paul says, does he owe you? I'll pay for it. Do you love him? Then love me. It's like Paul is standing in the gap for him. That passage we read earlier from 2 Corinthians talks about the fact that we, we've received reconciliation from God and we are now all ministers of reconciliation. That we've got this gospel message and we're to apply it, yes, to people who don't know Jesus, but also to one another. Like that's part of like what's God want me to do until I go see him? He wants you to be a minister of mercy to other people, to encourage and help facilitate reconciliation where there's broken relationships. God desires that. So what that means is, if, if you know that I've offended somebody, please, I want you to help me to make rights with them. If, if they haven't come and talked to me about it, listen, I, I want to know if I've done something like that. And I want, you to, I want you to pray for me, and I want you to pray with me, and I want you to challenge me, and I want you to give me verses that I should consider. Like, I need that in my life, and you need that in your life. We need to have those kinds of relationships where we help each other to not just settle for, well, let's, let's talk about it, or let's, let's pray about it and just kind of run somebody through the mud. Like, that's not helpful. But rather, we should be a people who seek to encourage reconciliation with one another. Because Satan wants us to leave things alone and not get our hands dirty in one another's lives. But we can't do that. We are a body. And yes, I'm not saying, listen, you need to be up in everybody's business it's not what I'm saying, but there's another very real sense in which our business is one another's business. We're a family in Christ, and what you do affects everybody else, whether you think it does or not. There's not some just you and, you and somebody else having beef. Like, that doesn't work like that. Paul says if one part of the body suffers, the whole thing does. This is why we live open, authentic lives with each other. And, and I want to be, I've, I've alluded to this, but I want to be, I just want to be honest with you that the reconciliation doesn't always happen. Romans 12, 18 says, If possible, if possible, so far as it depends on you, live at peace with all men. That means do everything that you can do to be at peace with people. But he also says, if possible, which means that there may be times when it's not, when peace is not happening. And you may need to back off and to pray and to ask God for mercy. I remember my, I have a family member who had strife with their, their dying uh, grandmother. And they reached out to me and asked, what should they do? And we talked about it and we prayed about it and went over some scriptures. And they said, you know what, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to call in. I'm going to ask them to forgive me. And they made the phone call. And about three minutes later, they called me back, just weeping. And they said, I told her I was sorry. And I told her that I wish I could have changed everything. And I told her... I told her some verses and I asked her if we could pray and she said, no, you are dead to me. And then she hung up. And that's hard. And some of you have felt that before. And the reason I share that with you is, is because I don't want you to be under the illusion if you try this and you hit a brick wall that like, oh, you're in sin and you're just not doing it right. Like there's not a magical formula. There's a, 
we wait and we trust and we pray and we ask God for mercy. But we need to help one another to try to make this happen. It's hard when people reject us. It hurts. But our hope is Christ. And that's the final thing I just want us to just observe as we, as we finish up looking at this letter. I want, want us to notice the way that, that Paul points Philemon back to Christ. He does it by teaching him, yes, but he also does it by modeling Christ's love for him to see. Do, do you notice how Paul plays the part of Christ in this letter, particularly there in 17 through 20? He identifies himself both with the sinner, Onesimus, and with the one who's offended, Philemon. And he cries out for peace. Paul stands in between them. He, he, he does this, and he, he says there in verse 18, listen, if he did something wrong, lay it upon me. If he wronged you at all or owes you anything, charge it to my account. I will repay it. That's exactly what Christ does for us in our salvation. He said, Father, forgive them. Forgive them and impute to me what they have done and give them my righteousness. Let me pay what they owe. And that's what, that's what Paul does here. He models Christ and Christ is our refuge. The one who reconciled us to God is the one who gives grace to reconcile us to others. So my prayer for us as a church and as individuals is that we will be a people who drink deeply of the good news of Christ and remember that it is, it is his grace that, that teaches us to love him and to love others and that, that as we extend reconciliation and forgiveness and mercy to other people that it refreshes all those who are around for the glory of God and that as we do it that, that the gospel's got to guard and guide our hearts that it's not just going through the motions, but that God wants, he wants our hearts. We should be humbled to remember that God is always working in people's lives. That should encourage us to extend mercy and that we should always be encouragers of reconciliation. So may God do this in our midst, that we may be known as a people who love one another. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for this this little gospel case study here, this picture of the way that your grace and mercy brings rebels unto yourself and brings healing to fractured relationships. So Father, we pray that this morning that if there's anybody here who doesn't know you, who has not turned from their sin and trusted in Christ and tasted of this grace, we pray that you, you might arrest their hearts as you did Onesimus and you might even use the orchestrating of the events this morning to draw them to yourself, open their eyes that they might believe and Father we also pray that you would help us if we find ourselves to be in, in Philemon's spot that we would be a forgiving, gracious people or in Paul's spot where we would seek to be helping reconciliation to happen. God we just pray that this church would be known for authentic deep, heartfelt, loving forgiving relationships. Make us that kind of people that you might be magnified. God, give us grace. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.